Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good evening and Merry Christmas to everybody. So good to see you. Could we thank um, Chad Fayas and Keith Torres for that wonderful song and for our team and all the great worship. I want to welcome everybody here. Welcome our guests. Welcome those who are streaming the service online. And hey, before we get started, um, I want to take a moment just of personal privilege and invite you back on uh, January 9th. On January 9th, we're going to start a new series and we're going to call the series How Life Works. And uh, I think that after this past year, some of us have maybe forgotten how life works, like how it's even connected all together. And what we're going to do is we're going to study the greatest sermon ever delivered. And heads up, it wasn't one of mine. (laughs) And we're going to look at the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 5, traditionally referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at that together as a congregation, and I'm super excited about this. So that will be starting on January 9th. I want to welcome you back. Um, Tonight, though, I want to begin uh, our time by uh, reading a scripture together that we normally don't think of as a Christmas passage. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I don't. This is not for cheap applause, so hold the applause. Tonight is the 25th year in a row that I've preached a Christmas message at Community of Hope. 25 years. So no, 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 no applause. Here's actually why I'm telling you that. Uh, a few years ago, I began to challenge myself, and I, I said to myself, you know, I've, I've preached all the Christmas passages of Scripture over and over, frontwards, backwards, up, down, in and out, and all of that. I want to begin to think of some passages in the Bible that go beyond what we normally think of as Christmas passages and show you how I believe they actually are and how they help us to some greater understandings. And so tonight, I want to read you two passages of Scripture. One, arguably, you just saw on the screen, I think it really is a a Christmas passage. And then another one that's not, but I want to show you that it is. And if you would help me out, you know, because tonight is one of the holiest nights of the year for those who uh, f- uh, you know, call themselves followers of Jesus. Uh, I come from a tradition where every now and again, when the pastor or somebody would read the scripture, they had the congregation stand. And so tonight, just because it's different, because it's Christmas Eve, could we honor the Lord and let's stand together and we're going to read the scriptures together. And I want to begin with um, Galatians chapter 4. And then sometimes, too, in my tradition uh, that I come from, after the person who read the Scripture is through, uh, he or she would say this, the Word of God for the people of God, and then everybody would respond by saying, thanks be to God. So let's, let's see if we could do that. The Word of God for the people of God. Awesome. Here we go. This is Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. It says... Paul writes, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might all receive the adoption to sonship. 
And because you are his sons then, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father, which is almost like saying Daddy God. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And then a passage that we normally don't think of as Christmas, I believe it is, John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that great? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am? You know the way and the place to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So tonight, um, on this night, I want to light our final candle in the Advent wreath, and this is the Christ candle. And uh, for those of you who have been worshiping with us across the month, we've been looking at John chapter 1, verse 14, which says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And tonight, instead of looking at John 1.14, we're going to look at John 14.1. And I was thinking about this because um, really what we've been doing all month long is we've been talking about the mystery and the wonder and the revelry that accompanies Christmas And because this is yet again, I hate to say it, been an unusual year, a weird year, a difficult year for sure, it it almost seems like we have have needed more revelry and more wonder, wouldn't you agree? Um, Earlier this month, at the very beginning of the month, um, Beth and I were out on a date. I still date her on Friday nights, and when I ask, she still says yes, which is great. And we were out on a date. We had gone to a nice place to eat dinner, and we were getting in the truck after dinner. And my wife said to me, she said, Dale, this has been great. On the way home, would it be okay if we stopped by Hobby Lobby? <laughs> and uh, guys, you know what it's like. They kind of sneak it in on you, and you know. And, and I was thinking, well, being the husband that I am, yes, let's go to Hobby Lobby. And we were in the north end of the county. We walked into this store, and I kid you not, y'all, um, Christmas was over in there. All of the stuff that would normally be out for Christmas, it was gone. And when we walked in, there was a broken Santa Claus in one corner. There was like a few strands of lights over here. There was a a worker, an employee, had a Santa Claus hat on, and he was setting up for the 4th of July. (laughs) And I, I just think that, honestly, this was December 3rd. And it was already gone. And I think it speaks to the collective need, almost like the song. We have a Christmas song that we sing sometimes that says, we need a little Christmas, you know, right this very minute. And so all month long in our church, really, 
We've been aiming our sights and our attention on some of the deeper meanings of Christmas, and we've wrapped them all together, if you will, around the image of home. This is what we've said, come home for Christmas. Uh, We've talked about how and why Jesus left his home for us. We've talked about how to make a home for Jesus in our hearts, and This is what, in many ways, I have come to believe Christmas is all about. When you get past the trappings, when you get past all of the hype, I think Christmas is learning to respond to the God who left his home to invite you to his. And across the month, um, I think earlier at the beginning of the month, I shared a a little, uh, you know, memory about a, a song that we sing that sort of kind of woven its way into the consciousness, if you will, of the American collective. And it's the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And I was thinking, because we've heard great music up here, I want to hear how you guys sing. And so I just want to tell you, before I invite you to end this to sing, the other two services crushed this. So you're going to have to bring your A game. I'm going to give you a pitch And I want us to sing, I'll be home for Christmas, okay? Hold on, let me get this. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dream. Give yourself a round of applause. That was pretty good. Wasn't as good as five o'clock, but it was pretty good. So I'm just just saying. So this is a song that uh, in what is known as the Great American Songbook, which is the American, American Collective, tells the story of America. This is song number 55. It was written uh, by a guy by the name, I think, Kim Gannon, Walter Kent, in 1943. It was recorded by Bing Crosby. And uh, it, in 11 weeks, went to number one in the charts. And so now it's number 55 in the all-time American songbook collective. And a GI magazine wrote in 1943 during the war that Bing Crosby and singing this song did more to lift the morale of the American culture than any other person had ever done in the history of humankind. And uh, interestingly, the BBC, uh, when the song came out, banned the song because they thought that it would demoralize the morale of the British soldiers because all the Americans would then want to go home. But there's a line in that song, and you just sang it so well, that I think has a lot of connective tissue to what Christmas is all about. We just sang it, I'll be home for Christmas, say it with me, if only in my dreams. Here's what I've come to understand. Everybody dreams at Christmas. 
we do. How many of you remember, um, for maybe some of the older folks in the room, do you remember you know, some of your earliest Christmas dreams? All of the kids in the room are dreaming. What about, what about some of your dreams? I know that in our own culture, uh, everybody knows and remembers Ralphie Parker's dream of the Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot BB gun, right? That, that actually wasn't my dream. I want to show you my dream when I was a little boy. It was a Cox PT-19 trainer. And I don't know if anybody remembers these little um, remote control. There was kind of early remote control, these engines. These were gas engine planes and cars. And I wanted one so bad. And I wore my parents out about it. And I got it. And I, d- I just wore them out. And they, and they got it for me. And I have this memory of... Uh, on Christmas Day when I was a little boy and I got the plane, we all went down to a local park and we set it up. My dad gassed it up, started it up, cranked it up, tuned the motor till it was just screaming and gave me the, the go sign. My brothers are watching me and he let it go and, and it took off to fly. It went around my head twice. The string broke. It flew across the park landed on the ground, and burst into a million pieces. That's not a joke. It's really what happened. I, all my dreams were crushed. I look back at my dad. My dad had the expression on his face like he had taken a $50 bill out of his pocket and lit it on fire. <laughs> when our older daughter, Haley, was um, growing up, she wanted real badly one year um, a Cabbage Patch doll. I want to show you that. How many of y'all remember those? The ugliest dolls on the planet. <laughs> And uh, we're partly responsible for the Cabbage Patch deal because we had gone on vacation and we had gone to this place called, I think it was Cleveland, Georgia, where the Cabbage Patch dolls were made. And uh, they, they were made at the factory, but watch this, you guys. They just suck you and they called it the hospital. And you went to the hospital to see how the dolls were made and you went through and you did all this thing. And then you showed up in the delivery room, showroom, where you would pick up your doll, and right in the middle of the room was this spotlight coming down on a table with all of the $1,000 Cabbage Patch dolls at this table. And my daughter was just drawn to it like a magnet. And we were, you know, not far out of seminary. We had no money. And I'm watching this thing unfold thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take a loan out for this doll. And I kid you not, over in the corner, I saw a commotion. And all these guys who had gotten sucked into this were back in the corner. And I was like, I wonder what they're doing back there. And I wandered back there and all the guys were there. And some dude had found a table with the $9 second edition dolls. And here's what I did, quick as a flash, I grabbed one of those dolls, I came back, Haley was holding onto the $1,000 doll, and I kid you not, this is what I did. I took it out of her hand, I handed her the $9.99 doll, and I said, honey, you don't want that one, you want this one, only the best for you. (laughs) And she bought it, she bought it. It was classic. But I just think um, the reason that song is so nostalgic is because we all dream. We're still dreaming. And here's what I think. When you get older, your dreams just get bigger. This has been such a weird year. I got to tell you, I've been in a lot of conversations like many of our pastors have been in with many of y'all. And uh, I've written a list of some of the dreams I've heard 
that I think people dream. They dream the pandemic will go away. The nation might heal itself. People are dreaming that their family will get ahead, that they'll have better friends, that maybe their marriage would be less chaotic and filled with blessing and peace. A lot of us are dreaming that our anxiety would subside or someone you know or even yourself, your addiction would loosen its grip. I've talked to people who are dreaming they can forgive themselves or forgive someone else. Or even the dream that the person no longer with you this Christmas could still be here. The truth of the matter is, honestly, we're, we're all still dreaming. And the problem comes in when we understand that many of our dreams oftentimes are just going to feel like the last line of that song. You know, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Just kind of a wishful idea that doesn't have a lot of reality to it. But what I have learned as a follower of Jesus is that I've come to believe that within the message of Christmas is this transformational truth that Jesus has come to help his people learn yet again how to dream. And that some of the biggest dreams of all can still come true. Let me tell you why I believe that. History tells us about a time in ancient Jewish history known as the silent years. It almost sounds ominous to even say that. And, and the silent years were um, this reference, if you will, to a time that ran contiguous with the second temple period in which no prophets of God were raised up and God seemed to be revealing nothing new to his people it was the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we might say even the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And right at the very end of that intertestamental period, here's an interesting thing. God's people began to experience dreams. You know some of the dreams. I'll call them to your memory. There was a simple teenage carpenter named Joseph who learns a fantastic story from his betrothed fiance Mary about giving birth to the coming Messiah, and he has a dream to take Mary as his wife anyway. There is a dream of the wise men who are coming to see the Christ child. They're warned in a dream not to return or get anywhere near King Herod. Later, Mary and Joseph are engaged in a dream again where they're told to flee Egypt because Herod wanted to kill their newborn son. Imagine that. In another dream, Joseph learns that Herod died and he can return to Israel. But before that could even take place, a final dream happens and Joseph is warned to avoid Herod's son who has taken over reign as king and to go instead to Galilee. And here's what's interesting to me. When we read about dreams in the Bible, confusing as they must have been to those people back then, what we now know on this side of religious history is that those dreams were the awakening sense of God's redemptive work being unleashed on the world. And here's what was being unleashed. There's more. There's more. Everything that we see isn't all that there 
is, there's more. Christian author John Eldridge has, I think, helped us in this idea. And in his book, uh, The Epic, he talks about this. He says, for most of us, life often feels like a movie that we've arrived at 45 minutes late. Something seems important, something's going on, but you feel like you've dropped into a story that you don't really know anything about. Good things happen, beautiful things unfold, tragic things happen, and what does it all mean? Life becomes this confusing mixture of all these realities. And it sometimes feels like the story of adventure and risk and loss and heroism mixed with betrayal mixed with the warring of good against evil, and we wonder, how did we get in here? And how do we get out? Wouldn't you all agree, this year has felt like that? I I was thinking about this. um, G.K. Chesterton once wrote, he said, with every step of our lives, we enter into the middle of a story which we are almost certain to misunderstand. Frederick Frederick Beekner writes this. He says, every age really has produced fairy tales and because there is something inside of us that wants to believe, wants to believe so badly that the world as we know it is not the whole story and we long for the re-enchantment of our realities and the hope that death is not the end and that the universe is something more than just a closed terrarium. And this is the message of Christmas. Jesus has come, and he has broken into our terrarium. And here's what he's done, y'all. He's taken the roof off, and there's more. I mean, isn't that essentially what he's saying to the disciples? I mean, here's the grown Jesus in the passage we just read, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And what do we learn? Jesus has just told the disciples about his betrayal and his arrest and even how uh, Peter will deny him. And they're perplexed. They feel like they've dropped into a story they don't know about. How did we get in here? How do we get out? And Jesus steps boldly onto that stage and here's what he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is the message of Christmas. Believe in Christ. Believe in Jesus. He has cracked open our world and come to show us there's more. And and not only that, he's come to extend his invitation to you and me. I mean, at the end of the day, right, isn't, isn't Christmas about hospitality? I, I, I became familiar with a great story this week right here in our own town, uh, this wonderful uh, story. I think it's the Williams family. I want to show you a picture that every year they've been doing this for the last 10 years. Here's what uh, she does. She opens her home uh, on Christmas Day for anybody in the community that wants to come over. She has four daughters, the mom does, and she said, I wanted to teach my kids that life is not all about you. It's about other people. 
And this is what God has offered to us. He's offered to us hospitality. I mean, some of us are here tonight, and you have family members that have extended hospitality to you. Some of you tonight are going to be the recipients of someone's hospitality tomorrow. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying in in verse 2 of John 14. My father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I I go to prepare a place. I'm going to prepare that place. I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Christmas is about a divine invitation for each other that God has given to us. A couple years ago, my uh, girls started to have some guys that showed up. And, uh, you know, we, Beth and I began to notice that these were guys that they just kept showing up and they kept staying around. And uh, I remember uh, when we decided and began to pick up on this, that they were here, they were not going to go away. We had normally set up for Christmas, and I want to show you, we, we would set our stockings out. That's, we call that the original four. And we had set the stockings out. And one afternoon I came home and Beth, Beth had rearranged the stockings and she had added two other stockings. And I have to be honest with you all, I didn't like that. I wasn't ready. And when she wasn't looking, I rearranged them and I put the boys by themselves. Isn't that awesome? And uh, I didn't think Beth would notice and she did notice that I came home from work one afternoon and look at where my stocking was. In the garage. But, but over the last couple of years, almost three years now, here's what I've noticed. Um, I like these guys. And they're the guys that I always wanted. I didn't know that I wanted. And so I rearranged them this year. And we've got our own little posse going on. Do you know, I mean, can I just say figuratively speaking, there's a stocking in heaven with your name on it? God is extending an invitation. But here's the thing I want to remind you on this holy night. There's a condition. You got to believe. Jesus said it. You believe in God the Father, you got to believe in me. I have to say, just as a pastor, I want to indulge you for one other moment and Verses 5 and 6, Thomas says to him, I love this so much. He goes, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Whenever I read that, it makes me feel better about what I do for a living. Because a lot of times I will preach and then I'll greet you guys out in the lobby and you will come and thank me for the exact thing I did not say. (laughs) And sometimes when I read this, I think, well, Jesus had people who were confused also, right? But, 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 here, but I think there's a challenge in this. You know what the challenge is? It's easy to miss it. He can be right in your presence, and it's easy to miss it. We live in a world that says it believes in a lot of things. And, and Jesus is inviting you to believe in him, but that has to be a single belief a defining belief, an action-oriented belief. A lot of people believe in Jesus like they believe in George Washington. Nice, somebody in history. 
but they're not trusting in George Washington to do anything for them now. Jesus is worth more than that. We lit a candle as a reminder that he's the light of the world, and in him is no darkness or shadow at all. We lit a candle to remind us that we can have hope in difficult circumstances, that even in the midst of great pain and agony and loss, the Bible tells us that grief may come in the night, but joy can come in the morning. We lit a candle as a reminder to us of the value of joy and that even in the midst of our lives that God in his presence offers to us a kind of joy that we can't manufacture on our own and then we lit a candle to commemorate the value that God is a God of forgiveness and that he will forgive us for our sins if we ask him. I would just tell you on this night, holy, quiet, reverent as it is right now, don't miss your opportunity to invite the King of Heaven to live in your heart. And if you do that, I can tell you based on my own experience, He will show you how to dream again. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, our lives are in your hands. We recognize in this moment, oh God, and we want to recognize in this moment that there is simply more to life than what we see, taste, touch, feel and smell our faith speaks of transcendent moments our faith speaks of heaven touching earth and kings that look like babies born in stables and so God tonight in the quietness of this moment I pray for all of my friends here and all of my friends online that we would we would not miss an opportunity to invite this king of all creation to be our king, this Lord of all eternity to be our Lord, this friend of sinners to be the friend of this sinner. And so God, we invite you into our heart. We thank you for your grace and we cling to your hope. This we pray in Jesus' name.